Hey there, beloved. Welcome to Radiant Stories. Each episode of this podcast, we hear from ladies of Calvary Hill Baptist Church and their testimonies of God's goodness and grace. Today on Radiant Stories, in the co-host chair, we have Shelby Adamson sitting with me, your host, April Mozingo. And we are interviewing a lady who is a wife, mother of three, designer, maker extraordinaire, and co-owner of All Things New Designs, and a big I Love Lucy fan, Jessica Sandlin. Okay, Jessica. So, fun fact about you, you are not from Texas, not even from the South. So tell us where you're from and how you came to live here. Yes, I was born in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan, a small town called Launce, right off Lake Superior. Beautiful. I lived there until I was five. I have two older brothers, was the only girl and the youngest, so got a lot of attention. (laughs) We moved to Texas for my dad's new job, and we ended up leaving our entire family to move to Texas across the country. No grandparents, no aunts, no uncles, no cousins, just the five of us. Mm, Wow. So did you grow up in church? I did. Um, I grew up and I was raised in a fundamental Baptist church. My dad served as a deacon. My mom was a Sunday school teacher for some time as well. We were at church every time the doors were opened, every time. (laughs) And back in the day, that was at least three times a week, Mm -hmm. if not more. Um, When I was in my teens, though, we became non-denominational, and I had quite a wide range of exposure to theology from fundamental Baptist to non-denominational slash charismatic. Wow. That's a lot. It was a lot. (laughs) So how old were you when you got saved? I was 12 when I got saved. I remember coming home from church, and I wouldn't have said this back then, but my eyes were open to the reality of who Jesus was and that I was a sinner. And so my mom, I asked my mom to come into my room, and she prayed with me, and I got saved. And it's funny because I had a terrible memory as a child, but that is a very vivid memory that I have from my childhood. So having grown up in a fundamentalist Baptist church, how do you think that played a role in how you interpreted God's word? Um, It it played a huge role because I had heard throughout my whole life um, the Bible scripture referenced as a love story. But for me, it was more of a rule book. Um, I was raised, as long as I can remember, well, I was naturally a rule follower. I wanted to do good. I wanted to do right. Um, But being raised in that tradition, there wasn't much room for error. It was lots of do's and don'ts, mainly don'ts. The concept of grace was so foreign to me. I was literally in college before the Lord really began to reveal to me what it was, and I started to comprehend it. I never doubted my parents' heart for God, but I always questioned in my mind how I was taught, all the rules with no room for grace. It just never made sense Mm -hmm. to me. Um, I knew they were trying to do the best that they could, but within my own heart and mind, I really struggled. Going to scripture and praying, they were all tasks that I felt I had to do and check off my list from day to day. I couldn't seem to grasp that relational part of God's word, of God, but I desperately wanted to. I loved him, but I felt bound to the rules of it all. I approached his word practically and even logically, but it never tapped into my emotions relationally, Mm -hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah. Well, speaking of that, you know, relationally, tell me Mm -hmm. more about your family and family culture. Um, Yes, I was raised in a very loving home. I always felt loved by my parents, maybe not so much by my two older brothers. Just kidding. They (laughs) like to pick on me quite a bit. They still do, actually. Um, But we had a strict home with really high expectations, lots of rules. I felt loved, but we weren't an emotionally expressive family. We didn't overly verbalize how we felt. 
Um, we didn't really have a lot of touchy feely hugs and kisses. It's just not how my parents were. It's not how they raised us. Um, my dad always worked night shift. So our family dynamic was very unique in that way because we, it was very rare that the five of us were all were together. Mm -hmm. Like we, we didn't sit down for family dinners because my dad would work in the evening through the night then go home, sleep all day, then mm. get up, get ready for work. My mom worked full time. I'm very thankful because my parents worked, you know, their tails off oh, to yeah. put us through Christian school. They really sacrificed a lot. But because my dad worked night shifts, my mom worked full time. Um, it was rare that the five of us were ever really together like and have family time. Right. I like to say family time. That's something that Neil and I like to do with the kids now and set aside weekly or bi-monthly time for the five of us just to sit, have dinner, play games. That was not something that we did uh, growing up. Um, I also, you know, really struggled with a lot of self-esteem growing up. Um, I was, it's funny because as I was thinking back to this, I was literally bullied as a kid. And I never would have verbalized it that, mm -hmm. that way until now, but I was verbally bullied. I was made fun of. I was very awkward, very awkward. I started wearing glasses when I was two Aww. and they weren't just these, no, they were not <laughs> these cute little glasses. They were super thick because I had terrible, terrible eyesight. I had to wear a patch on one of my eyes cause I had a cross eye. Y'all think about oh this. Oh my goodness. So since I was two and my dad told me that the moment they put those glasses on me, I was so happy. So probably my first two years, I probably wasn't seeing hardly anything at all. Anyway, um, but because of that, I was very awkward. I was lanky and just, anyway, but people made fun of me. They made fun of my glasses. They made fun of my looks. At one point, I even was physically abused by a, a, a friend of mine. Well, I guess he's not really my friend, but a classmate of mine kicked me right in the stomach, pushed me off a bike, kicked me in the stomach. I mean, think about that. Oh my goodness, Jessica. Right? Oh, my goodness. And it was part of my story, but I never really sat and thought about what that really was. So all those things really diminished my self-esteem. I struggled mm -hmm. with that my entire life. My mom, if anybody of you know her, she's beautiful. She's always been beautiful. So I would look at her, mm -hmm. like driving to church. I have vivid memories of this, and I've told her this before. But driving to church, I would sit in the back seat with my brothers and look at my mom, who was just so beautiful in my sight, and think, I'm never going to be like that. Like, I'm so ugly. I literally thought those things as a kid. And, of course, when my mom heard that, she's like, oh, my word, Jessica, I had no, I was like, mom, you wouldn't know. You never made me feel ugly. Right. It was all within. And then that verbal and even physical bullying that I experienced just elevated mm -hmm. it. Um, so I did struggle with self-esteem. Um, and, unfortunately, after 25 years of marriage, my parents did announce to us that they were going to separate. I was 19 when they decided to divorce, which – and I was still living at home. I was going to college, but it was a complete blindside because, like I said, we were raised in church. My dad was a deacon. My mom taught. We were there all the time when the doors were opened. So I just thought we were the typical mm -hmm. Christian family. Like, that, I never, ever would have dreamed that my parents would get divorced. Wow. Yeah. So how do you think your parents' divorce and the lack of emotional expression among y'all growing up affected you in adulthood? Um, well, divorce is hard for any child at any age. I don't care how old you are when it happens. It's hard. And it's hard to make sense of it. I had made a decision very early on after the divorce to leave all of that to my parents and to God. I'm like, this is their decision. It's between them and the Lord. And I wasn't going to let it affect me. But I was deceiving myself because that is the biggest, biggest lie that I believe for a long time. I was, um, 
wounded and I needed healing, but I put it off for many years. I became a professional suppressor of my feelings. Mm -hmm. And I think part of it was just the way that I was raised. Like we weren't given space to express. So I didn't know how to. Mm -hmm. So instead of dealing with it, I just pushed it down. Like, nope, that's not my issue. That's their issue. So I became a, you know, professional suppressor um, until I would eventually explode. Um, Mm -hmm. Any of you suppressors out there know what I'm talking about. You can only go so long and then it comes out. Um, But I was clueless to the value of emotional and mental health. It was foreign to me, truly. It was, it mostly affected my relationship with Neil. Um, He was raised in a very expressive, touchy-feely family. So we were on complete opposite spectrums when it came to that part of our lives. God was at work during that time of my life, though, because his family became such a refuge for me during those first years after the divorce. I was exposed to a different way of family life. Not that mine was all bad, but it was just different seeing a family be more expressive and free. However, the divorce and the lack of emotional expression did make for some challenges in my relationships, for sure. Absolutely. A professional suppressor. Wow. How did you work through all of that? Well, it really took a long time. I wish I could say within the first five years of my marriage, I had it figured out, but it took a really long time. It actually took an earth shattering moment to wake me up to my desperate need for healing. Neil, my husband had a major anxiety attack about eight years ago, and it unsettled me in ways that really terrified me and made me question so many things. I was so angry. We went to counseling together because I was so angry and I'm thinking I'm going to counselor counseling to tell the counselor, like, you need to fix my husband. Like, this is ridiculous, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> by the end of it, by the end of it, my count, the counselor was like, Jessica, I think there's some things that we need to work on, like work through with you. So that anger revealed to him that I had some major things that I needed to process because I had I had attached those feelings from my past to Neil mm. and all that he was going through. Yeah. So um, it was just really a blessing in disguise because his God's hand was at work in all of it. And um, I quickly learned how to unre- I quickly learned how unresolved and unhealed that I was from my past. There was a lot of, of gaping wounds that I was so unaware of. But counseling gave me space to be 100% authentic real with how I was truly feeling about things. It was hard and it still is, but the brutal honesty within those walls really allowed me to process Mm -hmm. and work through so much pain that was affecting me day in and day out that I was somewhat unaware of. It's made me a healthier person overall, which has affected all of my relationships in one way or another. It's enabled me to see boundaries as healthy Mm -hmm. and necessary. Neil was always the emotional one in our relationship for so many years. And we like to joke now that the roles have reversed because I have become the emotional one, which is hilarious because I just wasn't for so long. But Jesus has unleashed those emotions within me, and it still catches me off guard because it wasn't how I was as a child or even a young adult, but it has made me feel whole. Mm, Praise God. I know. Amen. So talk to me about life as a pastor's wife. That's a fun question. Uh, Neil and I are high school sweethearts. We have been together for almost, well, over 27 years and almost 21 years married. That's a long time, y'all. It is. I realize how old I am. But um, he was called into ministry while we were dating, so I knew I was going to be a pastor's wife, but I didn't really know what that meant. I was just determined to support and encourage him in his calling. But throughout the years of 
especially early on in our marriage, um, I have been told by various people that I, I too was called to the ministry. And I struggle with that because I never felt called to be a pastor's wife. I had no doubt I was called to marry Neil, mm-hmm. but I never felt that same calling that he had. So early on in his merit in, in his ministry, in our marriage, um, I was a yes person. Mm-hmm. Anytime I was asked to do anything, I just felt compelled to say yes. So I was asked at one point to teach, and I think it was the junior high girls, y'all. <laughs> it was terrible. And I knew then that I, I'm not called to be a teacher. Like at, at that point in my life, like I had no mm-hmm. desire to do it, but because I was Neil's wife and he was a pastor, then I felt like I had to do it. Those poor, poor girls. I'm telling you, those poor girls. It was terrible. But um, as, as we had our children, we have three kids now, and as they came along, I really just poured into them, and they became my calling. I knew the Lord wanted me to be home and raise my babies, and he provided for me to do just that. Um, throughout the years, I've served in many areas of our church, but never as Neil's right-hand person. You know, I've never been, that's never been my role. Um, Neil always encouraged me to serve where the Lord led me. Mm-hmm. So I've, I always love babies and I, I work in the nursery. I've served in the kids ministry for a little bit. I love to sing. So I've joined choir and, you know, sing with the youth, the, the youth refuge band. Um, so I'm so blessed to have a husband who has encouraged me to go where the Lord's led me to go. Um, you know, and it's changed throughout the years and the seasons, of course, you know, but, I want to be 100% transparent because there's lots of spoken and unspoken expectations for pastor's wives, but without a lot of resources to help mm-hmm. navigate. And early on in his ministry in our marriage, I tried to be what was expected of me from others or even what I thought a pastor's wife should mm-hmm. be. But in the past six or seven years, just truly leaning into Jesus's call on me and who he made me to be has been the most fruitful. Listening to his voice in my life and what he's equipped me to do um, has been so, so freeing. And I'm so thankful that he's given that to me in the last six or seven years. Mm, I love that. I'm thankful too. Oh, thanks. <laughs> so was there a definite turning point for you when the Lord maybe revealed himself to you in a new way? Yes. Yes. Um, Late 2018, early 2019, the Lord called me to a season of waiting. And that word was just so clear to me. And I'm like, seriously, Lord, like you want me to wait? I don't think I'd ever really waited on the Mm -hmm. Lord up until that point in my life because I'm always I've always been a doer. Mm -hmm. Like I've got to be busy. I've got to be doing things. I've got to be doing things really well and really good. Um, But it was so clear that he was calling me to wait. And I didn't really know what that meant. But it was a pivotal time in my walk with the Lord. And um, I've always loved and sought the Lord throughout my Christian life. But he opened my eyes to him in a big way during that season. I read through the Psalms that year talking you know, it, that really, not talking, but it tapped so much into my emotions that I think, I mean, I know now that the Lord knew I needed that. Um, I remember thinking he's just filling up all my spaces. Mm-hmm. I kept, this is silly, but I kept envisioning an elephant. At that point, I was sitting at my kitchen table. That's where I would take my time to to have my quiet time with the Lord during that season. And I was sitting at my kitchen table and I, day after day after day, and I, it was my favorite time of my entire day that whole year. And um, I kept envisioning an elephant, and it kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger until 
it, it just filled up my entire house and it popped the roof off. And that mm-hmm. was just the Lord's presence mm-hmm. within me. Like I was seeing him for the first time and he became so all consuming for me. Um, he revealed his character to me in a way that he hadn't before, or maybe I just never saw, but I absolutely fell in love with him. It wasn't about what his work or his word would do for me or what I could add to it. You know, like Mm -hmm. that old mode of like adding things to the gospel, Mm -hmm. you know, it was just about his work and his word. And I would intentionally engage all of my senses Um, I don't really know where that came from, but I started to light a candle. I had Mm. my coffee. I had a really pretty view outside my Mm -hmm. my back door. And, you know, of course, writing and reading Mm -hmm. out loud. And and it just became so comprehensive for me. And I think that that was a a huge way that God just really revealed himself to me comprehensively by engaging Mm -hmm. all of my senses. And this sounds really weird, but it was so powerful. Um, And it was during that year that he really pruned me. He cut away things that I needed to have cut away. He instructed me, and he gave me so much clarity and insight, and I saw him. It was transformative. Since that season, though, he's called me now to do different things that I never would have done before, like ever. The old Jessica would be terrified and run if somebody asked me to teach or to lead a Bible study or whatever, but this new... I say new, but it was just who I was Mm -hmm. that God was revealing to me was excited. I started, you know, having opportunities to, to, to teach college girls. And and, and I've had a chance to speak here at the ladies event a couple of times. And it's crazy to me because in the past I would have just never in a million years do it, but now it's like, it gets me so excited. And, um, I really attest it to that season of the Lord, just really revealing himself to me, but also revealing who he made me to be. Um, I'm actually about to step into a whole new season, and I'm so excited about it, but the Lord's opened the door for me to pursue my master's degree in in professional counseling, and it's something that was planted in me 20-some years ago. I got my bachelor's degree in psychology, and I always thought, you know, gosh, whenever my kids get older and I have more time, I think I'm going to pursue my master's degree, but honestly, these last, Caden's going to be 17 this summer, Mm. these last 17 years, I haven't even thought about it, to be honest. I mean, you know, flippantly, Mm -hmm. but nothing. And about two months ago, the Lord just kind of planted that seed again. I'm like, hey. I started thinking about things. I started praying. I told Neil about it. Anyway, I've been praying for a couple months, and I'm pursuing that, and I'm super excited about what the Lord has in store for that season. Yay. I'm so excited for you. You're hearing it first here, people. I'm scared. Y'all got to pray. It's going to be so good. I'm so excited for you. Thank you. So looking at the big picture of all of these things, how – has God shown his faithfulness, his faithfulness to you through it all? I really love that question so much because it's his faithful love was the constant that he revealed to me. I I have it tattooed on my body. I have live loved, you know, so much of my life, my default and still my default can be that legalistic approach, um, to a relationship with the Lord. You know, like I have to live, like I have to to work for his love rather fr- than from it. And so live loved has kind of become a mantra for me because it really grounds me into to remember that no, just like Jesus did all the work. You're not living for his love. You're living from it. And so as I was reflecting back and, you know, about what I wanted to share today, it's his faithful love that has carried 
me through and it's been unwavering. Like it's just been so constant. I can boldly say that I'm so thankful for every part of my story. I have scars, of course, like everybody does, but and things that I still have to work through, but it's revealed his faithful, steadfast love for me. I'm so thankful for that pivotal time in 2019 because it prepared me for so many things, well, hard things that have come since. And I may get emotional here. I'm trying not to be. And I'll explain my emotion if I do. Okay. The biggest hardship for me in 2020 wasn't COVID, but losing my dad during COVID. Oh, why just saying those words are so emotional. Um, There's lots of layers to that grief, and it's been very difficult in ways that I never anticipated. But, um, gosh, I've seen the Lord's faithfulness to me and his constant love for me. And I get emotional, yes, losing my dad. And there's, again, there's so many layers to that. But the emotion comes from what God, because of God, the hope that I have. Maybe some things that I didn't get to experience here on earth. One day I will experience with my dad because of Jesus. And that's what gets me so emotional because it's like, man, he's just so good to us. And I'm so thankful. Um, And even just going through the process of grief and, and grief is so different for everybody. You know, we all have different types of relationships and, and the grief process is so unique to each individual, but I had moments of feeling alone and not to say that my husband, I had, Neil was so amazing to me during that time. My mom, my brothers, our family and friends, but I had this sense of feeling alone, but not by myself, but with God. And, um, it was just really, it was really a sweet time for me because, um, because he had revealed himself to me so transformatively in 2019, I had zero doubt that he was with me in my Mm -hmm. grief, like that he understood everything that I was experiencing, like all the emotions. I wasn't afraid to be honest. Like I was angry. I was sad. I was, I was joyful, anticipating this, this reality that I would Mm -hmm. have with my dad one day. Like, so it's, it's crazy to me to think about because I felt alone, but it was alone with God. And as much as, as awesome as everybody was, there was such comfort Mm -hmm. being there with Jesus because he's always been my constant. He's always been the one that has never failed me. Even through the hard things, even through the, the difficult parts of my story, he was always there and loving me through it and understanding me in ways that Neil, my favorite person on the planet, truly couldn't understand. As much as he wanted to, he couldn't. But I had Jesus with me. And Gosh, I mean, all that he taught me leading up to that, you know, I forget who said it, but I think it might've been Lisa Turkhurst. I'm not hundred percent sure who said that Bible study prepares you for what's to come. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I see that so clearly in 2019, it was such a pivotal time with the Lord and in my walk that I have no doubt that he was preparing me for not only what happened in 2020 with COVID, with my dad, other things that have happened like just to to solidify to me like no this is who I am and this is who you are because of me and you are not alone and I love you no matter mm-hmm. what and it's it just sustained me um you know I'm just so thankful because we're going to continue to have seasons right we all mm-hmm. have seasons of life there's going to be great ones there's going to be hard ones there's going to be sad ones but just knowing that in Christ 
his faithful love endures forever is such an encouragement to me. And I'm just so thankful for his faithfulness to me. Mm. I'm thankful for that too. And I'm thankful for you and your authenticity. And I'm all teary eyed now, so I'm just going <laughs> to end it right there. Thank you so much, Jessica, for sharing your story. Uh, I'm going to pray. Lord God, I thank you um, just so much for Jessica. I thank you for um, the story you've written in her life and the way you've woven woven yourself through her story and um, how you've revealed yourself to be faithful. And um, I just thank you for this opportunity that we all have to hear um, of your faithfulness in her life. And um, Lord, I just thank you so much for her and I thank you for your for what you do in our lives and that we get the opportunity to all share our stories. And, um, I, I thank you for, um, your love and your nearness, Lord. I thank you so much that you understand exactly every emotion that we feel and that you're right there with us feeling it the same time as we are. Um, I just thank you for that companionship that we have in you and, um, and, and that we, none of us are ever really alone. Um, even if we feel like it, even if we don't have the support of family and friends, Lord, you, um, you're right there with us and you know exactly what we've gone through. And again, you, you feel the same things we do. And I thank you for that. Um, and I just, I thank you again for this time and I uh, pray in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening. And in case you don't know it, subscribing, leaving positive review and sharing on social media helps our stories to be shared with more people. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram as well as a fun little thing we do over on YouTube. If you hang out any of these places, please follow us there as well. And speaking from experience, it's very nerve-wracking to be in the hot seat here. And the few weeks after, you just kind of wonder, like, was anybody listening? Was this worth it? So if any part of Jessica's story has encouraged you, please reach out to her and let her know. Or comment on our social media posts and leave a little positive feedback uh, wherever you listen to your podcast. Just a little positive feedback goes a long way. Thanks. Thanks.